Hello and welcome to Attention to Detail, the podcast for D's fans, by D's fans, as we hold on for dear life aboard the roller coaster ride that is barracking for the Melbourne Football Club. My name is Tim, and as always, joined by Simo here. Thank you so much for joining us. Simo, how you going? Good, mate, as always. Uh, obviously, coming off a, a little bit of a different week, I kind of forgot how to lose. Uh, <laughs> um, but look, to be honest, you roll with the punches, mate, and then that's what comes comes with barracking for support for, for a team. So... Um, you know, nine and one, still pretty happy. I mean, to think at the start of the season, eh, would you be nine and one? You know, I'd think absolutely not. So I'm um, still as happy as Larry. And um, yeah, it's 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 one thing where I think we'll learn from. Um, and then, yeah, you know, you never know what could happen for the rest of the year. But, you know, it's all about that adjustment now, isn't it? That's right. And I think a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of speculation made about the non-decisions in the last minute. And yes, obviously some of those calls could go your way. Uh, and I think playing away from home and, and being severely outnumbered by Adelaide fans is, is where you get the rub of the green in that sense. And I don't think you can really pinpoint it down to those two decisions. I think it's it's a four-quarter effort in which Adelaide played a fantastic game of football and, and deservedly won the game. Uh, not to say Melbourne didn't have their chances, especially being up late in the last quarter. But you know what? You can't just base off a decision, uh, base an effort off just one or two uh, non-calls in the um, you know, in the last couple of minutes there. So, yeah, I think Adelaide just they exposed us with heaps of their pace and and just moved the ball really daringly. And I think that's something that teams have been a little bit afraid to do with us, and we tend to get teams to fall into the trap of bombing it long and, and letting us just pick off their pick off their passes uh, as as need be but no they they looked quick they moved through the corridor they just seemed to have paddocks the whole time moving the ball forward and I think they just looked really exciting and good for them I got nothing against them in, in that sense and hopefully as you said hopefully the D's take something and learn from it yeah 100 percent well the, the fact that the crows are four and six like it shows like, obviously, they're a young side, but, like, you know, their first three, four weeks were actually really, really strong. I think they knocked off Geelong in round one. So, you know, they're, they're a side that they're going to have those moments where they do knock off a better side um, when things start to click. So, unfortunately, we're the team to cop it this week. But, um, yeah, moving forward for them, I think they, they will continuously do that. But um, us, us as a club, you know, again, I'll say it again, um, big game this weekend. Um, it's all about making that adjustment now and learning from the mistakes that, you know, sunk in this week. I mean, we gave up, what was it, 14, 15 goals to the Crows. I think it was 15 maybe. They scored, yeah, 96 what, points in the end. Yeah, 96 points in the end, I think it was. Yep. So 15 goals against us when we the most were given up was against North, which was around the, you know, 10, 11 goal mark. Um, so the, the fact that that's happened, I suppose, you know, us as a defensive unit, you know, needs to be clicking onto that pretty quick, um, especially coming up against a really strong midfield who's got a really strong, they've got a really strong connection mid to forward. So, you know, our defence is going to be have to be, they're going to have to be red hot and, and on. Yeah, that's right. I think Lever put it well the other day in his press conference. I think that they were severely disappointed about how they defended. I think Goody said it as well in the press conference uh, after the match. Uh, just really disappointed in, in how they defended and they were clearly exposed. And I, th- I think we sort of just buckled under pressure a little bit. Like they, their pressure, and talk about pressure gauges the other day, uh, you know, Adelaide's pressure had caused us to, to fumble. We were dropping marks. We were just doing something, you know, little things that were uncharacteristic 
of us this season. Uh, and yeah, as I said, all credit to Adelaide, but hopefully we can take those things and, and look to improve of them. Hope they've had a, you know, a pretty honest match review, I would say, on the Monday, but then they just reset and look ahead to Friday night, which is going to be a huge clash. There was something much more exciting happening on Attention to Detail this week rather than just chatting about the Dees losing. We had a pretty amazing opportunity to interview our current well, and brand new president of the football club in Kate Roffey, and she was fantastic and, yeah, really grateful that she gave up her time and a very busy schedule that she would have, I'm sure. But, yeah, what did you think of the chat with her? I really loved it. I, I think I really love how knowledgeable she is and also what she, what she brings. Um, and what she brings, knowing from just chatting to her, is a whole team approach. And I feel really comfortable knowing that she's leading our club. And obviously, you can see, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of upbringing in that her, in her eight years. You can see the growth, which is now translating. You know, as a club as a whole, you know, you can actually see us really developing now and um, all that hard work that she and also all everyone, we're all one, has put in, gone through all the hardship and we've done all that. Now it's time to start, you know, reaping the rewards. That's it. So, everyone, we really hope you enjoy the interview. We yeah had a great time chatting to her and, and it was a fantastic opportunity to get to know a little bit uh, the president behind our club and have a good discussion about what she stands for and where she sees the club going forward in both men's and women's footy. So, enjoy the interview. And uh, yeah, we'll actually, well, we've got another special guest next week, but we'll, we'll reveal that maybe on socials <laughs> a little bit later and, and then we'll cover the doggies game as well. But thanks everyone for listening and uh, yeah, enjoy the show. Go days. Go days. Well, Simo, it's an absolute pleasure to introduce our very special guest tonight, the newly appointed 22nd president of the Melbourne Football Club, Kate Roffey. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. Congratulations on your appointment as well, too. It's uh, very exciting and in the midst of a very successful season so far. Yeah, no, it is. It's fantastic. I mean, it's such a an honour to be asked to do something like this, as you could imagine. And apparently I've been sent a few times the... 22 is the lucky number, apparently. It's the power number. So let's hope that it um, proves to be lucky for the mighty Melbourne Football Club. Yeah, we'd definitely take yeah any any sort of omen like that for sure. Absolutely. And we're just kind of chatting about a bit of the, the current situation has changed quite vastly in the last 48 hours. I know we can't, like last year, we can't take anything for granted. And with everything that's gone on this week and the last 20, 24 to 48 hours, has the AFL communicated anything to you about the future games? Obviously, now we're allowed crowds. They kind of announced that they're allowed crowds around 11, which certainly seemed threatened at this very stage of recording. Uh, and then we also saw that Essendon had to leave, I think, today in order to get to Perth. Obviously, we play uh, interstate in round 12. Has there been any mm-hmm. sort of communication about what to expect? Not, not as yet. So our players have all gone um, back into their own um, hub isolation style setups in their their own home home location, so they they only go out for the four key reasons. Um, that's just to make sure that they uh, avoid catching COVID in any way that they possibly can. As clubs, um, certainly at Melbourne Football Club, and I assume that others are like this. We have staff that are allowed to um, go into the players group, and then everyone else isn't. And those who who are uh, under same COVID regulations as those who 
um, as the players themselves. So we have very strict regulations around trying to make sure the players themselves uh, are not in environments where they're going to get the COVID. The rest of it in terms of where we play, whether or not we can have crowds and what happens interstate is actually up to the health departments of the various states. And, of course, here in Victoria, game game crowds and game capacity will be set by the government, not by the AFL, albeit they do talk uh, a lot. So Essendon will have headed over to Perth today. That would be by agreement um, with the Western Australian yeah. government. We don't know as yet. Uh, we're fortunately here this weekend on, on Friday night. Not sure what will happen uh, with NT. We assume we'll be okay to go and play over there, but it does just depend on what happens with the next uh, 48 hours or so with with the COVID. We're all still waiting here with bated breath in Melbourne again to see if we're going to get a snap lockdown. So, um, yeah, that's something that's determined by groups outside of AFL specifically, but we do everything that we can to make sure um, the game goes on as we did last year. So you grew up in country New South Wales, being brought up with a rugby league background, um, but now you find yourself um, leading the oldest club in the competition. Can you mm. tell us about when you first experienced AFL and what first drew you to the game? Yeah, I look, I did. I grew up in a, a little country town in the northwest of New South Wales called Narrabri. It's actually closer to the Queensland border than it is to Sydney. And we, we were League and Union. We really hadn't heard of AFL until probably years 11 and 12. We sort of started to hear about it. Hadn't really seen it played. And I went away to study and play sport in, in Canberra. And all of a sudden there was this AFL game we started to see. And I actually really enjoyed it. We, I went, when I went to university, I had um, guys that were at uni with us who had played in what was then the um, VAFA, the Amateur Football League here in Victoria. So they were pretty good um Aussie Rules players, and they taught taught us to play. Myself and uh, another friend who was a pretty good athlete, we played in the men's team because there was certainly no women's team um, back there when I was at university. And I just really developed this love for a, an extraordinary game that just didn't ever stop. I was a volleyball player, and it's very similar. You you don't stop the ball in, in volleyball. It's always on the move. So I think AFL really appealed to me in that regard. But it's just such a great game, and we had such a great um, community and a great team spirit around AFL. So, of course, I came to to Melbourne and everybody said, well, you have to have a team. And when you're not born into a, a team here, it's very hard to decide or pick a team um, which one to go for. But in Melbourne, I lived in Melbourne and, you know, to me it seemed to make sense to go for the, the Melbourne Demons and we were the underdogs um, at the time when I came here. So yeah. certainly picked the um, underdog team and have stuck with them through and through ever since. And, um, yeah, now my... My um, blood runs red and blue like Jack Viney's does. And, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's been such a great journey that we've been on as a club. It's just, it's fantastic. Do you remember your first game? Oh, sorry, Simo. Do you remember your first uh, game, Kate, that you went to? <laughs> yeah. It, funnily enough, I went to a, a Western Bulldogs game. I knew Cam Rose, who was the, the CEO at the time, and uh, it was a Western Bulldogs game out um out in the, the West there and uh, what was the old uh, kind of Eddie had probably... Um, before Eddie had what was a colonial stadium, I think it was back then. So I went to uh, watch the Bulldogs versus Geelong. So I didn't pick out either of those teams um, to support, I have to say. But again, just the crowd here. I mean, we talk about a small crowd of AFL being, you know, 30,000 people even during lockdown. You know, you wouldn't even get that many people to an NRL final in, in New South Wales. The camaraderie, the tribalism, the size of the crowds here in Victoria, it really is astonishing and when you come from outside the state you get a real feel for how big afl is 
in comparison to pretty much any other sport played in Australia. That's right. And I know that you yourself have done a, quite a bit of traveling and seen a lot of uh, expert sort of sport uh, programs and venues and, and visit a lot of those and I got to America a couple of years ago and managed to get to an NBA game and to a college football game and, and you sort of said those numbers there they're a lot smaller but it makes it feel when you come back and you sort of think of the G being the largest you know sports stadium in the southern hemisphere and you get a hundred thousand people it's it's pretty incredible to imagine that you know you're part of that community and it's it is something special that is unique to us. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I have been all around the world when I did the redevelopment of, of Melbourne Park, which is where the Australian Open Tennis is held here. And um, I, there isn't another sporting precinct like the MCG precinct anywhere in the world with the with the number of facilities that are there so close together. And when, you know, when you've got the, the tennis going and you've got um, something at the MCG and, and something over at Amy Park as well, it's just as... I mean, it really is something that's worth you know, traveling internationally just to come and see a game of football at the MCG. There, I don't think there probably is another 100,000-seat capacity stadium in the world. Even the NFL is the Super Bowl is only played in a handful of stadiums um, because they the only stadiums in the States that have got the capacity to actually host the Super Bowl itself. So it really is it's something very, very special to play at the MCG to have it as your home ground and to be the team that wrote the rules of Aussie rules and was born at the MCG. It's really quite extraordinary to be involved in the Melbourne Football Club. You're obviously, as you mentioned, instrumental in, in overseeing the development of Melbourne Parks when you're at Vic Sport and it's been the goal of the Melbourne Football Club for a long time to establish a permanent base. I know that speaking to Andrew Lee and Shelley and Goragoni and Wo Woden sort of saying coming to the club and having site sheds as as you know part of their bases but we are the oldest team in the competition and it's been a huge focus i know for the club for a while i know that it's your area of expertise and how are we progressing with the plan to try and get a home base within that precinct i know it'd be great to have a base that is close to our home ground yeah absolutely so we're, we're very much focused on uh, that is is my priority in fact it was priority before i was president i was the chair of that um, facilities working group prior to this time yeah it is a priority we've had some good news um recently just with the state budget announcement that we've got some funding to move on and do a business case for establishing a facility so that's really the next uh, you know it's a really important phase to actually do a business case which is about where it's going to be located, how it's going to be funded, all of that sort of more detailed structure. So that's a big step forward um, in terms of actually getting a facility built. We absolutely want to stay in the MCG area somewhere. That is our heartland. Now I can assure you, um, having done the tennis centre redevelopment, there's not a lot of land down there and a lot of people want it. I think I tried to get it all for my the tennis when I was there, but we're definitely looking at options uh, down there. We've got Bosch's Paddock, which we use as our um, training facility at the moment. So there is not a lot of green space, as you could imagine, in the inner city Melbourne area. So we already have access to Bosch's Paddock. So we're certainly going to try and work on something that would fit in the, in the precinct and keep us close to the MCG, which is our heartland. And it's an absolute priority that we need an answer um, on this. So whether or not we get it built and finished by the time I finish my term as president, I definitely have an answer on um, hopefully where it's going to be and, and what it's going to look like because I have been to the West Coast um, Eagles new facility over in um, 
in person, I can assure you it is a, a long way ahead of a lot of the other facilities that um, have been built over the time. So we've got a bit of catching up to do. Yeah, we certainly do. We're obviously in the middle of a tremendous season that I don't think any Demon supporter predicted uh, this year. But we've obviously won our we won our nine straight games uh, first time since 1956. And yes, coming off the back of a loss on the weekend. But just in and around the club and internally, like it's great to see the red and blue out in the stands and just even around the city. I think it's it's certainly not out of the woodwork, but it's it's similar to what it was in 2018. But geez, it's a pretty amazing time to be a Melbourne supporter. But What's the feeling and the atmosphere like within the four walls of the club? Because I think that would be something that's we sort of get the media releases yeah. and we get the press conferences. But what's going there day in day out? How's it? All, how's the feeling inside the club? Yeah, it's it's uh, people keep asking you know, what's happened, what's what's going on now. It's a maturation thing, and it, all clubs go through it. I mean, we've been building since I first came on the board. I came on with um, Peter Jackson and Paul Ruse at that time when we went through a very, you know, very, very open rebuild. Um, and, you know, we've changed everything pretty much. And I remember Ruse saying early on, heads up, folks, we're not going to win a game this year because we do need to rebuild. And I think we won two. But that was eight years ago. So there's a, a time that you have to go through in building your list and getting your players together, getting that core group of players together, getting them to understand a, a structure and, develop a style of play that holds up under pressure. And I think we're seeing the fruition of that now after that seven or eight years journey. I am a sports scientist by background. So in skill acquisition, we talk about the phases of development that you go through as athletes. And and the ultimate is to get to a phase we call unconscious competence, where you don't have to think about skills and how you um, go about playing the game in a skill sense, you can actually get your eyes up and look around the field a bit more. And that's what commentators talk about when they say, well, lift your eyes up, have a look around. That means I'm not having to focus on my skills if I can do that. And we say players sort of get there in their 100 to 150 game slot. And so we've got a core group of players who are in that space now. And we allow our young players to play the games that they want to play, people like Cosie Pickett and, and Luke Jackson, who are just phenomenal because they've got the good structure around them, so it allows them to be much freer in their game style as young players. But really the thing that's happening now is we're starting to believe that we can do this. There's a really strong cohesion around the club. There's a really strong cohesion around our men's and our women's teams now, and we're into that intangible phase, which is all the things that go to win you a premiership that you can't quite put your finger on, but you know they're important. You just don't know how to get them and you... You don't know where they come from, but they eventually get there. And I think we're in that space. And it's really important, Tim, you mentioned supporters. I spoke at our last president's function and I said, there's a job for everyone to do here. And and part of the job is that our supporters need to get out and believe they need to support this team. And I can assure you being in Adelaide on the weekend with, you know, five of us amongst 30,000 roaring Adelaide fans, you know, it does have an influence on the game. It does have an influence on umpires' decision. It does affect the players, and that's what we need to start doing as Melbourne supporters. We need to get there and influence the game for our team as well. It is just so important. And if you don't believe me, go to Adelaide. Sit there, <laughs> sit there in the last 30 seconds of a, oh. of a game when you were 15 points ahead and now you're, mm. you know, you're one point behind. Um yeah, it does. It has absolutely has an influence, and that's what our Melbourne supporters need to get out there and believe that we can do this as a as a club. 
And that's been it. And I think, I mean, Simo, I've talked about the last few weeks, it's been the consistency, I think, is the real key. And you talk about belief and, you know, Dean's supporters have had this knack of, of having their hopes sort of held by, uh, you know, held by a string and then shattered the next week and not knowing what we're going to bring week in, week out. Whereas this year has been a total shift in that. And despite, you know, having an off game on, on the weekend but for, for nine weeks we were tested but we were able to get some sort of identifiable brand of our footy that we've been talking about over these last few years it's been building and i think we're all now having this huge sense of belief and being confident to be able to go out and say right we know how melbourne's going to come out and play we know that we're tough around the ball we know that we want to move the ball quickly and we know that we want to lock teams in our forward 50 and that's been something that i think as a, a long su- not suffering a long supporter <laughs> long time supporter long time fan, long time fan. Uh, that's been something that i know that is really satisfying for us to uh, help be- build that belief i'm sure Simo, you'd agree with me there oh exactly well like we've touched on this i think most weeks especially during the nine nine game win streak it was you know that keyword maturity and i think from from my standpoint, I can see like you know our high draft picks really really starting to fire up now. Like you look at Christian, Christian Salem, you know, Christian Petrarca, both those two boys, you know they can like it's just it's you can see it, you can visually see it, which we obviously like what you said, Tim. We couldn't we couldn't see it in the past, but now we can definitely see those boys. Like you said, Kate, you know, getting to the 100, 150 game mark, um, so they really can build on what they've what they've been practicing to do yeah look and it's it's not an easy journey and it's not you know it's incredibly difficult to win a premiership i mean they, if they were easy they you know they wouldn't be so so heavily sought <laughs> would they so it really is a, a difficult thing and you know we, we're going to have so adelaide came out and they played you know a fantastic game against us and this is the thing i'm talking about in the end um we beat sydney because john longmire said it himself we just had the desire as a club to win we hung on and we you know didn't give up and and adelaide were like that on the weekend and i tell you the, the crowd support it does count for something so you know as i keep saying you've got to put all of that old you know long suffering um you know we can't trust the d's we've got to put all that to the side and get behind this um team now our men's and our women's teams because that is what's going to make the difference um that luck with um injuries, luck with the bounce of the ball, luck with an umpire's call, all of those things are the little things now that are going to make the difference between winning or losing those close games that are going to see us eventually win a premiership flag, hopefully while I'm the president. <laughs> well, I suppose this, so Kate, this sort of, you kind of highlighted on it, but you started your position at the Melbourne Footy Club eight years ago as a board member. What was your impression with the state of the club? How has that changed over time you've been present? Yeah. Yeah, so, so first and foremost, people say, oh, you know, what do you do as a president or whatever? First and foremost, I'm the chair of a board of governance and we, we're directors and our job is to govern the organisation. And that's all sorts of things like financials and audit and risk and all of the the typical governance things that are not, you know, as, as sexy as winning flags and things like that, but are incredibly critical for a, for a club. So we went through that process of getting all of our financials in particular um, in order over the last um, eight years, so we're an unassisted club now. We're in a in a in the black in terms of finances, and that's off the back of some great decisions that you know past boards made around some acquisitions and things like that. And so, I just say, you know, to me, they said I'm a 
um, president, my job is different, but it's no more important than anyone else's involved in the club or, and that includes supporters and everybody else. We've all got a role to play. But my job is to make sure we make the best decisions now to continue to keep the club in a good place for the future. So when I hand it over, it's um, it's in an excellent financial position. It's in a great position, audit and risk-wise, and it's in a great position on the field as well as off the field because we really want to be the best club that we can be on and off the field, and that means we want good people at our club, not just good players, and that includes our staff, that includes our supporters, that that includes our players. So we work really hard around the boardroom to do a lot of the other things that you don't really notice. Um, if you notice them, we probably wouldn't be doing them well enough, but they keep the club ticking away underneath, whether it's a financial sense or a, a sponsor sense or a um, facility sense, all of those things that are really critical to the club and to our operations, we oversee that and our administration under Gary Pert put them into operation for us and it's all it's all going pretty well um, at the moment. But that's due to a lot of hard work and I have to say a lot of hard work from people who were here um, a long time before I was as well. So on that, you you know, there was a bit of restructuring in the football department over the off-season and we know that we were managed to get some key personnel from from other clubs and the fact of uh, Adam Uze and, and even the addition of Mark Williams coming in. Mm-hmm. Were those positions identified as areas of improvement, like their areas of expertise? And I suppose, how have you seen their roles uh, impact and play a role in our success this year? Yeah, so every... You know, every so often it's the same as uh, whether it's a board or whether you're a CEO or, or executive groups. Every so often you need to just take a change and a pivot. And I think that was something identified by um, Richo, Alan Richardson, who who came in and, and Simon Goodwin, Goody, our head coach, was it's not um, it's not to say that the people who come in are better or that they are um, the people who went out aren't good. It's to say that we just needed a different focus because you... you um, have different skill sets you um, teach in a certain way on the field or to the players. And once you've done that bit, then you move on and you help another club and we brought some new people into our club. And I think, again, where you talk about what's happening on the field, really a lot of that gelling of your support structure behind it, again, which you don't see so much, is so critical because um, I, I relate to different people in different ways, the same way that the coaches relate to each other or the players relate to each other and for some reason at this point in time it just seems to be gelling well at the same time as the sort of team cohesion is gelling as well and you know I I do really believe that these things are sort of points in time where all your ducks do get in a row and and special things happen and I really you know you ask what that Tim what that feeling around the club is there is something exciting there and maybe it just is that finally we've got all all our cats herded in the right direction um for a change yeah and i know i think i listened to an interview with mark williams probably on a couple couple of years ago maybe and i think it was really interesting to hear him like he had such a burning desire to come back to footy if you know if somebody wanted him and he's had success sort of follow him everywhere he went and i know me and simo mentioned in previous years where our skill execution probably wasn't up to the scratch of the benchmark of the competition. Uh, but that's something that I think noticeably that I think has been a huge improvement this year. And I, I remember Mark Williams sort of saying that, you know, kicking is a, a huge strength of his. And I noticed that that's been something that is certainly that he's been able to embark his influence on on the playing group seemingly seemingly quickly enough in the off season and as you said it might be a a combination of those things but it does seem like it's just all lined up and 
and been we've been able to just move the ball uh, up and down the ground just really really uh impressively and being able to have smooth skills uh, that i think haven't always been there and maybe that's been a mixture of you know not being overly confident but maybe that skill errors were, were certainly mm. uh well up there in something that supporters noticed last year yeah and i think it is you know again that's what you're part of that um skill acquisition thing and the the maturing in your own skill um capability there's a, certainly a technical i'm a biomechanist by background so there is a technical thing and everyone's body is different so everybody can't have the same kicking style i mean it just doesn't work like that because our bodies are all different so players have had time to develop that but don't underestimate the contribution that darren burgess and our fitness um yeah team have had where you see them running more and you just see ed langdon and i can't even keep track of him he just seems to be everywhere but yeah with the changes in rotations this year and the men on the mark rule and the 666 previously and um, one of those things that i think is showing through really really strongly for us now is that enormous fitness base that uh, we have focused a lot on over the past couple of seasons when you're not tired it's easier to execute your skills properly and i think that's something else that you're seeing now is um I just don't ever sit there in the fourth quarter and think our, our guys are going to run out of steam uh, because they just are in, even coming off after Sydney. They said to me in the change rooms, that was just the most physical, that was one of the hardest games that they had played for a long time, but they still didn't look like they weren't going to go back and defend for another five minutes um, if they had to. Thankfully, they didn't because I was standing on the sidelines you know, <laughs> having a heart attack. But, um, you know, it's, it, again, the fitter you are, the, the longer your skills will stay in top quality um, because you've got the fitness to actually, you know, be able to kick the ball with pinpoint accuracy, be able to kick the ball 50 metres. So it's a, there's no one thing. People say, what is it? I can, there's yeah. no thing. It's a hundred little things that are all, you know, just coming together at the right time. They all coalesce just perfectly, hopefully. Is there any news on whether Burjo is going to stay around the club past this season or still not sure yet? No, no. So we um, we don't know. We haven't actually had any conversations around. Um, you know, he'll be here next year. We're just trying to make sure we win our next game on yeah. on Friday night. But Burjo's been been fantastic um, for us, and we certainly hope we can um, keep him with us. But if not, yeah, he's been educating the people, and and they work as a team. Again, it's no one person that um, you take out of our system. It won't fall down because everybody's making a contribution. There, there isn't any one person who's the critical link they're all critical links but they're all sharing their knowledge and information which is great so moving towards the aflw now and our women's team you've been heavily involved in uh the, the development of the aflw mm. and obviously melbourne one of the pioneering clubs in the competition how are you seeing the current state of it now and and what do you see as the next step in looking to how the women's game grows yeah i think um we've been talking about the fact that we're moving forward into a december start for the season now that's been driven a lot at the moment off the back of uh, staffing the staffing situation the fact that most of our staff have to work on the men's and the women's game at the moment because we we don't have separate staff lines for for the men's and the women's program and what we were finding is that when the seasons ran together and overlapped we'd have some some staff members who are actually finishing the women's game and flying over to adelaide for a men's game for example or vice versa and so I think at the moment we're spreading the seasons out a bit so it gives both teams more support. However, it does make the season a very, very um, long season when we're now going from sort of the start of December through to, to October. So there's not a lot of downtime in footy uh, for the staff at the moment. 
In terms of growth and development, you can see how much um, the game is just skyrocketing in terms of improvement in skills and, and um, on the field. And that's because we've got so many young women coming through the system and playing yeah, AFL as their first sport now. And so we're getting some exceptional... I, I look at people like Eden Zanker, who's just coming through in Melbourne now. She's just such a phenomenal um, athlete, but a phenomenal AFL player. So we're going to keep seeing this, I think, escalation in the, the skills and development and the quality of the team. And eventually we will have a full and rounded competition in terms of every club um, having a team. We don't have that at the moment. But again, we've got to we've got to make sure that we can support our women. So that means that we've got to have finances as well to make sure they get paid. It'd be fantastic to have them on contracts year round, um, like our women cricketers are, for example. But we're not quite yet that yet there yet. But that's something we'll definitely be working towards, and I'll keep pushing for that to make sure that they are paid as athletes um, for the whole year. It's a bit hard when you only you know sort of you know, do your football for three or four months and you have to work full time while you do that to keep yourself going. That's right. I was just yeah, about to mention that, you know, you've got a lot of these professional, well, in, in our minds, they're certainly professional athletes, but they're being paid and I suppose looked after semi-professionally, not by any fault of the clubs, but just the way that the competition is structured at the moment. And I know that it's not like they're putting in any less effort. So be a driving, driving force to see them be properly looked after and compensated for all their hard work and effort. And hopefully we can see that competition continue to grow and, and really develop the fan base and kind of combine and, you know, myself included and being able to sort of get around Melbourne Football Club as as the two teams and, and thinking of those two things as, as all all in one and, and not thinking of the competitions entirely separate, which I think would be a goal uh, ultimately for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. We're one club. I continue to say that it's not... Um, we have men who play AFL, we have women who play AFL and represent the club and it's it's one club and, um, you know, it, it's very important and it's a great point that you, you make, Tim. It is something that we want everyone to be really cognizant of the fact that when we talk about Melbourne Football Club, it's anyone who plays AFL um, for the Melbourne Football Club, not our men's program. And, uh, you know, I really hope I get to the point where I don't have to discern between AFL men and AFL women. It's just our AFL players and that will encompass our men and our women and whoever else might play. I've, I've been told of a, there's a wheelchair AFL that I haven't actually seen yet, but there's a couple of teams that have got clubs, uh, a couple of clubs that have got teams in the wheelchair AFL, I should say. So... Yeah, there's all sorts of um, all sorts of competitions popping up, which is really exciting. Amazing. Well, to to go with what we're talking about with um with the women's footy as well, I was I was listening to SEN, trying to remember which player it might have been, but it might have been Gary Bacanaro or someone. But they spoke about what it was like to be playing footy back in the '80s because they were almost recognised as you know semi professionals, and then mm. they have their job as well. So that sort of you know that's what the position women are in. But I suppose this is going to tack on to our next question is it's going to come from support and also again you're saying finances so through that well you've made yourself well thank you again by the way um you've made yourself very approachable to the members and supporters how important is that connection with the melbourne faithful to you oh absolutely i mean i i am here courtesy of others so people often ask how do you become president and um, you get asked to do it by others you don't wake up one morning and go i'm going to be president of my club i think carol wilson i was talking to her the other day and she said did you did you think of being president when you came on the board? I said, Carol, I didn't think of being president when I was vice president. It's just not something that you sit there and do. You just, you know, the right person, right time, right place. And the supporters and, and having the, 
confidence um, of the supporter base and um, our fans that I'm the right person to lead this club, that I'm doing a good job is absolutely critical. And the only way um, I can tell if I have their confidence and if, uh, you know, they have confidence in me is if I do things like this where I speak to them. I, if they stop um, in the street and they want to have a selfie, I have a selfie with them. If they send me a, a notion of just um, spent Last week, uh, one night, um, replying to some handwritten letters that I got, um, you know, I've replied to all of them. It's important to me that people care about this club. It's important to me that they're interested in me because I'm the, the person that's at this point in time been asked to lead this club. And I want to make sure that, you know, I'm transparent and, and open with all those those members because I am here courtesy of, of them and I am here for them. It's not my club. It's our club. It's their club. So um, I'm doing my best to represent them as well as I can, along with um, along with our board. And that's what we're here for: is to make it the best club for everybody. And that means everyone is welcome here. Um, we want everybody to feel engaged. We want everyone to be a proud um, Melbourne supporter, and we want them to be proud to belong to this club. And you know, the only way I can make sure I'm doing the best that I can is to listen to everybody else. Um, give me the feedback that that they think I need to hear. So culture is such an important thing that, you know, all businesses and all organizations r require a good culture to be able to uh, succeed, but, uh, and especially football clubs, but you look at, and talking to the men's here, but Melbourne's key re-signings uh, this year, uh, you know, we look at Maxi and Petrarca and Oliver, all those, as you talked about before, those core group of players re-signing is such a huge repayment of faith and, you know, not only from a internal point of view, but from an external view, it's very exciting. But it's also the ability for us to become a bit of a destination club and lure some great talent like Stephen May and, yeah. and Adam Tomlinson, Lever and Langdon. How would you say our culture shifted from the time that you got there? Obviously, you've seen a lot in your time. You've experienced the end of the Neil era, you know, Peter Jackson coming on board, uh, going through Paul Ruse being appointed. How would you say our culture's shifted It'd be a mountain of work to think about where we were eight years ago and probably where the culture of the club and outside and inside perspectives of it has changed over time. I think one of those critical things is developing the belief that we can make. And that was something I think when I first came to the club, there was a belief that we just never would be able to. Uh, it was this feeling that we'd never be a big club. We'd never be challenging for finals we'd never be a successful club we'd never win a premiership and you're changing that culture I think and that's what I'm talking about with fans now you've got to believe now it really I, I totally understand when people go oh you know it's it's hard to believe or it's hard to we just want it so much I get that but there comes a time when you've got to actually change and start believing and I think that was the the start of that culture that um changed back then was developing that genuine belief and being really honest I think that's one of the critical things as we were honest in terms of saying we are rebuilding mm. this club and a lot of clubs you know don't do that they they say oh we're just having a little hiccup or whatever but we were I can tell you that you know that was an honest conversation that Ruthie had when he came and he said we are not going to win a game this year and we're probably not going to win many next year because we absolutely have to go back to the bare bones and start again in building the systems building the structure building this belief and it's, you know, it's a journey that we've been on and people out there now should be really excited that, you know, if you've been a long-term supporter of the Melbourne Football Club, you've been on that journey um, of rebuilding, you know, and we did it the hard way. We did it 
from absolute scratch, but we're starting to get there now. And we have got a fantastic group of men and women who play Australian rules football for this club. I mean, they are absolutely, you know, great people. I love spending time with them. You know, they're helping each other. I said to one of our young first-year players who got an injury, I said, maybe you should talk to Chris Petrarca. I remember in his first year he did his ACL and I was talking to him on the sidelines at training. I said, you'll be a better player if you rehab this throughout mm-hmm. your career because you understand your body. So I said to young Bailey, I said, maybe have a talk to Chris. He's been through. He said, I, he's already been over to my house a couple of times to help out. So you know when you don't have to ask players to go and do that, they do it themselves, then you know you've got a good, a good culture um, brewing there and that's the sort of thing now they're the intangibles that I'm talking about that are going to get you to the final prize uh, when you start looking out for everybody else around you amazing that well that leads perfectly into our next question um so winning premierships both uh, men's and women's is I'm sure a clear goal of yours but what are some other short and long-term goals um have you set for the club under your leadership as president yeah, so I think really the facilities one is is absolute priority, making sure that we've got a home base and and that's going to be tidied up. We've got some some other off field um, things that we're working on. We're really keen on the the cultural aspect of the club, and you know that you mentioned we're off to the Northern Territory to play in Alice Springs um, in a couple of weekends, and we've got our programs over there with our Santa Teresa Oval, for example, over in our community there, Grass in the Oval. So we're really keen on making sure that we have a great community impact as well, and we're particularly keen on that in the Northern Territory, but also things like supporting the Freeze MND, mm-hmm. um, going on Queen's birthday, the Jim Stein's reach. Oh, yeah, good on you there, Jim <laughs> Feeney, good man. Um, so things like that, those are really important. Um, as we talk about culture, those are really important things to us as, to do as well. Like I said, we want to be a big club on and off the field, and when I say big, I don't just mean membership numbers I mean in terms of gravitas and and presence and respect and being thought of as a destination club because we have that great culture so they're things that we have so many of those things in place so I think we can just continue to build on on those elements now but really I mean anyone people keep asking me you know do you want to win premierships absolutely if any president of a club is telling you they don't then they're not telling you the truth (laughs) because that's why we play AFL. Now, how far you think you are from winning one is a completely different yeah. thing. But that's why every AFL club exists to win those elusive flags. And, and we're no different. We're certainly um, aiming to do that. And like I said, sooner rather than later, it would be fantastic. Awesome. Well, we've just got a couple of fan questions, Kate, just to mm-hmm. finish off that had a yep. few people send some through. So the first one we've got here is from Kim Sagnall. Thanks, Kim, for sending this in. Uh, she said, Dear Kate, I don't have Fox Hello KO mainly because I only watch the Demons games and that's about it. Could the club look into offering a KO subscription as part of a membership or a discounted rate uh, just to give the supporters a chance to watch every game? And this might be depending, uh, I'm not sure if she's from Victoria, but given where we might be heading, uh, you know, that if we can't get to games, then that might be something as well too. And I know this might not be completely your your call here in terms yeah. of membership services but she's also asked uh i have enough scarves to support a small village could the membership get a hat instead <laughs> i'll ask i'll ask about the hat i've just dis- disseminated some scarves to my family up in queensland actually by post but um yeah the the ko the streaming thing actually is a that's an afl thing um not us so i'll um check into it certainly on the 
the scarves and the hats I'll ask um, ask about that. People, it's funny, people do often ask, you know, can we have birthday cards and, and things like that, and I do pass them on. Um, I don't know if we can do it or not because, again, licensing is very um, strictly controlled, not necessarily by us, but I will most definitely, Kim, I'll pass it on um, for you, and, yeah, I'll, next time I see Gil, I'll ask him about payo. I do know they control that one, not us. <laughs> And then the second one we've got here is from Luke Mitoshetsky. Uh He said, home base is the obvious question, and I know we've touched on it a little bit today, but he said, what are our options if we can't get into the sports precinct? Is there, obviously, as you said before, you've got a few options. Is there anywhere else? Like you looked at Hawthorne a couple of years ago, looked at Dingley as a potential possibility. Uh, yeah, is there anywhere else that we're sort of eyeing off if, as you said, land shortage is a little bit, it's a bit scarce uh, around mm. around that precinct? Have we got some options there if we cannot get into Parks District? Well, I'm a, I'm a true believer in uh, chasing the prize, so I'm not looking at any other options um, at the moment. So if I have a chat with the, the minister and he tells me a definitive no, then I'll look at something else. But no, at the moment, I'm actually full tilt. We're absolutely going to be looking at a, an option there. It has to be the right option, obviously, but no, that's um, our absolute focus um, there. We want to stay in our heartland. We want to stay where the Melbourne Football Club was born and bred. And um, no, I'm not looking at other options at the moment because that then might might open up the door for someone to say we can go somewhere else. So no, I'm firmly eyeing <laughs> off an option that's um, in that precinct at the moment. Fantastic. Well, that pretty much brings us to the end of that, Kate. Uh, Looking forward to an absolute ripper of a game this Friday night, which I know it's been the talk of the town pretty much since about round five, I think, uh, in the form (laughs) in the form that uh, that the D's are in at the moment. But yeah, really exciting to see sort of where we stand against. I think Lever put it pretty well the other the other day about they probably looking the best team in the competition, but it'll be a good test for our boys to see where we sit against them. Yeah, absolutely, and it's always a fascinating thing. I always find it fascinating to play at Marvel because the conditions are so, you know, you know exactly what you're going to get there. The roof's always closed. I don't think they ever open it these days, so you always know exactly what sort of conditions you get there, and you'll remember a few years ago when it was the the curse of Eddie had. We couldn't play there, and all of a sudden we've worked out how to play there now, and that's that's gone. So you know exactly what you're going to get um, at Marvel condition-wise, so all you've got to do is focus up on the... The opposition so it will be a very very exciting game and hopefully we'll be able to have a a big crowd there um covid permitting and melbourne supporters get down there and use your voices to influence that outcome as best you can and i think on that I'd, I'd have to double check but i'm sure i saw today that they're actually opening the roof this week which will be uh yeah interesting i don't know how many games the dogs have played at the marvel with the roof open so yeah. that could uh that could change change the game uh, absolutely because I, I i don't think i've been there for ages it's always so hot in there when the roof is closed and i yeah. always think i wish they'd just open the roof because i don't think it's um, been open for ages so that might it might not um well, that might upset the dogs a bit if they have to play with the open roof. So we'll see how we go. <laughs> I've got a question for you too, Kate. Just mm-hmm. to up. Um, obviously, like as a Melbourne supporter or as a Melbourne supporter base, we always thought, how is our big forward line going to work? It'd be awesome to hear your thoughts on uh, what do you think would be best best suited for um for our structure. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. Look, um. You know, Tommy McDonald's having an absolute ripper of a year, isn't he? I don't know this meat diet that he's on. We him <laughs> about that, so he's on his meat all week. Um, yeah, you can't take him out. Our little guys, uh, 
you know, Charlie Spargo and Cosy Pickett are, are going great guns. And, you know, Weedy and, and Ben Brown, although they're both big guys, uh, play quite different sorts of sorts of games. So and you can't like you can't sort of keep rotating the team in and out because we saw, you know, on the weekend when um, Chris Salem, you know, was a laid out, it does have an impact um, on your on your playing structure there. So I don't know. I keep asking Goody, um, Goody this, and I'm not sure that any of us have a, an answer as to mm. how it works. We certainly don't want someone getting injured as the solution there. So I think we're just going to have to share the share the load um, at the moment. But I'd you know I'd love to see um, Weeds you know start to you know play the big man's game. He's still a really young guy, and they take a long time to develop. But he'd be fantastic. But I do have a soft spot for for Big Benny Brown because he let me hold his little baby. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I'd love to see them all play, but, uh, you know, we need to have 22, I think, on the field at any given time so that we can um, watch them all in action, but probably a bit too tall if they're all playing together, I think. So need to leave a few of our little crummers in there, but isn't it a great problem to have? Because I can remember being at coaches' meeting years ago where they say, well, you know, he needs to come out, but we just haven't got anyone else to play because we had so many injuries. So I'd much rather this situation, I can assure you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. We're so grateful for you giving up time and out of your busy schedule to, to speak to us and answer our questions. And I know our fans will be very excited to listen to your thoughts as well too. So, again, uh, wishing you all the best uh, in your very first season as president and looking forward to many more successes uh, as the years roll on and hopefully a couple of cups there along the way in both the men's and the women's. <laughs> Absolutely, that would be perfect. Thanks, guys, for your time and thanks thanks all your D's fans that are out there. Let's get behind these teams and let's bring home those shiny cups. Let's Absolutely. All right, thanks very much, Kate. Fantastic. Take thanks, care. Guys. See Bye. ya.